So we are continuing um, our series uh, called Big Questions, Biblical Answers. Again, this is questions by y'all, just about questions maybe you have about Christianity and the culture around us, the faith, scripture, whatever. Maybe questions y'all have heard, maybe questions that you personally have, maybe questions you've seen online. And we just want to say, how do we answer these through a biblical lens? How does the gospel respond to some of these? And I think tonight is, is a really big one, is why would a God so loving allow bad things to happen to good people or allow bad things to happen in the world? It's like, why is there so much suffering in the world? That if there was a God so loving and so big and so powerful, then why would he not change these things? Or why would he not, like rectify these things? Why would he allow all of this to happen? And it sometimes can be a big, difficult question for even us Christians to reconcile in our brain. We see difficulties around us. In fact, I was even reminded of this just recently, just a few weeks ago. I had a, I had a former student of mine reach out to me that he wanted to call and we catched up and he was saying how, how he hasn't prayed in months and he feels so distant from God. And as we were talking and asking him, he was, he was telling me more about why. He said, well, ever since this pandemic started, I just, I thought, how could God allow so much of this to happen? And he was revealing also on top of that, like one of my best closest friends has, has gotten cancer and it's getting progressively worse and, and nothing's changing. Like why? I think a lot of us deal with that. I even look at recently just, just some members of our church family and how they've lost loved ones and just grieving that loss. I would you think, why, why would God allow any of this to happen? So suffering, it's a difficult topic that all of us face at some point, or maybe some of you are in the midst of that right now. And so I want you to know that, that those emotions that y'all have had with difficult times, those experiences that you've had, either right now or whenever you face it, that those are absolutely valid. I want, I want you to know those are absolutely valid. And so the pain you felt the tears shed, the heartache that you've dealt with, all of it is valid. But I also want you to know, I want us to handle this gracefully and, and sensitively, but also lovingly as we submit all of these under the authority of, of God's word and how we review this through his word. So I think something that would be very helpful is, is for us to look at one passage of scripture to kind of guide the rest of our conversations. And so you can turn with me there if you want. It's in 2 Corinthians 2 Corinthians chapter 1, 2 Corinthians chapter 1, looking at verses 3 through 5. And I think this will be a good starting place that can guide the rest of this. So this is what it says. This is the word of the Lord. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our affliction, so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. For as we share abundantly in Christ's sufferings, so through Christ we share abundantly in comfort too. Let's pray, and then we're going to jump into this conversation. So dear Lord, we just come before you as, as fallen, sinful human beings in desperate need of your grace, that that. We are people of unclean lips living amongst other people of unclean lips. That, that we just want to know how do we handle any of this? How do we respond to the sufferings around us? And so we need you. So Lord, I come before you and I admit that, that I'm completely incapable of being able to, to deliver any of this without the power of your Holy Spirit and the authority of your word. So Holy Spirit, would you just... just 
cleanse any and all of us of any pride that we may have. And would you just let us come before you with open hearts? Would you just, Holy Spirit, open up our minds to understand these truths? Would you open up our ears to to hear these truths? Would you open up our eyes to see just more of Jesus and our need for Jesus? And would you open up our hearts and lay them open that, that through your word, that you'll convict us of, of sins that we are committing to repent and turn back to you? Or would you give us truths to encourage us in the midst of all of this? And would you take all of these truths and would you just have them buried into our hearts and out of that just produce fruit that helps us become more of the followers of Christ you've called us to be, more of the family of God you've called us to be, and continue to make Christ's name known. So free us of any distractions over these next few minutes. Whatever might be weighing heavy on our hearts and minds, whether it be in this room or outside this room, free us up from all of that so we can just hear clearly from you. We pray all of this in Jesus' precious name. Amen. So tonight, what we're going to be looking at is I want us to look at six different truths of how to respond to this particular question of why would a God so loving allow bad things to happen to good people and in the world? So I kind of want to take it bit by bit of good people and in the world. So a lot of times we think, okay, well, how could God allow things to happen to good people or innocent people? And so the first thing I want to see is this, is that everyone has sinned, which means since everyone has sinned, no one is innocent. And when we look at it through lens of Scripture... So a lot of these, first we're going to look at is in the book of Romans. So in Romans, we see in Romans 3.10, where Paul says, no, no one is righteous, no, not one. And so because no one is righteous, no, not one, we see then in Romans 3.23, where it says, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Or that we see in Romans 5.12, that therefore just as sin came into the world through one man, meaning Adam, and death Through sin, so death spread to all men because all have sinned. So we see because of the one act that Adam had at the fall, then sin spread to everyone along with death. So now everyone is born, is born with this sin nature. And then we see this in Romans 6.23. So how bad is this sin? We rebel against God. Well, in Romans 6.23, we see this where it says, For the wages of sin is death. So think of this. Every time that we sin, that's how big or little it is. God takes sin so seriously that because of that, we are deserving of death. That is, that is how much God takes, how seriously God takes sin because we've sinned against a holy and perfect God. So it takes a holy and perfect sacrifice to appease him. So according to the truths of scripture, we see because of the sin of Adam, it is spread to everyone how everyone is born with a sinful nature that once This sinful nature of ours wants nothing to do with God. We rebel against God. We always want us to be the number one person in our lives. We want to be on the throne of our hearts. We want to look out for number one in ourselves. So because of that, we are rebels against God. And this rebellion, according to Scripture, is deserving of death, which means, according to Scripture, there's there's not one innocent person. The, The fact that we take our next breath is a gracious gift of God. Or the next heartbeat that we take is completely undeserved. That when we view it in this way, we actually flip the question. Instead of, why would God allow so many bad things to happen? We verse the saying, how come there's not even more bad things that happen in the world? So, so with that kind of in mind, I want us to focus the next three truths on this. A result from the fall of man and how that relates to the suffering in the world around us. Because there's a connection to the fall of man and how it affects every other aspect of creation. So the second truth we see is this, is that some suffering is a result of personal sin. 
That some suffering is a result of, of personal sin. That this person that allows their sinful nature to flourish. Then we see what happens when, when someone's heart, where it says in Jeremiah 17, 9, where it is deceitfully wicked, who can even understand it? That we allow to live that out. It will see all of the evil fruits of that. Or in Ephesians 2, 1 through 3, it says, we are dead in our sins. They were born dead in our sins, want nothing to do with God. And so because we want nothing to do with God, it says we're following whatever the philosophies of the world are. The philosophies that are totally against God. And it said we are just following the prince of the power of the air who's working in sons of disobedience. Which means we're just following whatever Satan says on that. Which means we're just living out the fleshly desires of our heart. And so we see what happens when we live that out. In fact, it says in James 1, 14 through 15, how we allow sin, we give in to temptation, those fleshly desires, we allow sin to grow. It'll continue to grow and grow and grow, and ultimately it will produce death in the end, spiritual death. And so we see the fruits of that all around us. We see that just these horrific things we see throughout history on a grand scale. Let's say the abuse of others or the genocide of others. We look at the Holocaust or we look at Rwanda. We see all these things, just how evil and awful it is when people give in to these desires and live that out. Or even on a smaller scale, we see just personal sins and how that affects us. Maybe the way we treat our bodies or let's say if we indulge in something sinful and we indulge in it for too long, that we develop an addiction to that. Why? Because we slowly gave into it more and more and more and more. We saw the results of that that came about from that. All of this is from our depraved, sinful hearts that we were born with. So we need to be transformed by God. But again, our hearts that need to be transformed by God want nothing to do with God. And as we've seen out of the last few weeks, that we could change everything external. We could change all of the systems. We could change everything around us. But if the internal person is not transformed, then in the end, it'll be all in vain. So we see all of this physical evil around us. And I just want us to hear this quote from John Piper in his book, Coronavirus in Christ, where he says this, Physical evil is a parable, a drama, a signpost pointing to the moral outrage of rebellion against God. So God might be even using the horrors and suffering of the world around us to draw us closer to him. To see what happens when the heart moves further and further away from God. Just what can result and what can happen. And this should move us to repentance. This should move us to weep over these things. The results of this. To submit our lives to Christ. And now just because, now I want us to understand, just because some of us have repented and believed in Christ does not mean we're going to be free of all suffering. There's some people who believe, okay, once you repent and believe, you're never going to suffer at all. You're just on the highway to heaven. You're totally fine. No. But the truth is, it's from this third one. Some suffering is a result of a fallen world. Just some of it is because we, li we live in a fallen, sinful world. That the original perfect design that God had in the beginning, because of sin, sin has distorted and disrupted that original design. We see this in natural disasters that we see around us. Like let's say the tsunami that hit in 2004, or Hurricane Katrina in 2006, or even just in March of 2020 when we saw tornadoes hit just Nashville, just 45 minutes away from here. Or we even see this, the results of the fall of man, even let's say the diseases we see around us. That we see cancer, or diabetes, or vision problems, or even COVID itself. That we see this as a direct result of the fall of man. It says how in Romans 8.22 that the world is groaning. It is groaning with childbirth pains because it is not as how it should be. It's the world saying, this is not right. This is not how it should be. Here's another quote that kind of help us describe this. 
in, uh, again, in John Piper's book, Coronavirus in Christ, he says, physical pain is God's trumpet blast to tell us something is dreadfully wrong in the world. That these things we see around us, it's saying, no, this is not right. This is not how things should be. This is not how it originally was designed. But also Jesus wants to see these, these birth pains, if you will, as a reminder and alert that he's going to come back one day and that we need to be ready as his followers. Or sometimes we see these disasters and diseases we see in the world around us that it might even be a divine judgment from God towards a nation or a particular group of people or an individual themselves. However, I'm not going to say this is always the case for all of it. I'm not going to say that is the case for all of it. Sometimes the God might use this suffering we see in the world around us to loosen our grip on the world and to focus on the world to come. How it says all of these sufferings we face pale in comparison to the surpassing worth, the surpassing that we're going to see we stand before Christ face to face. I also want us to be clear though about this. The suffering a person endures is not proportional to the amount of sin in one's life. That a lot of times people think, well, I committed this one sin, so now I'm going to have this disaster happen to me. No. I want you to know that is not the case. So sometimes people think that and fear that we live that out. But here's also a fourth truth that I want us to see. is that some suffering is a result of Satan. Some suffering is a result of Satan in the world around us. Here are just some verses just to describe Satan's role in the world around us. It says on 1 Peter 5, 8, it says, Satan prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. Or in John 10, 10, it says, Satan comes to seek, to steal, kill, and destroy. Or as we saw in Ephesians 2, 2, Satan is the prince of the power of the air. He is that spirit working in the sons of disobedience. Or a verse we've looked at the past few weeks, Ephesians 6, 12, that we don't wrestle against flesh and blood. We're not wrestling against earthly, fleshly things. We're wrestling against the spiritual powers, the spiritual authorities in this. Or it even says in 1 John 5, 19, the whole world lies in the power of the evil one, meaning Satan. Or Luke 22, 31, it says Satan was demanding to sift Simon Peter like wheat. And so here's just some things God might be using. God might be using the suffering that Satan causes to strengthen our faith in God or even prove the genuineness of our faith. It says this in Romans 5, 3 through 5. It says not only that, but we rejoice in all in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. Or in Psalm 119, 71, it says, It is good that I was afflicted in order that I may learn your statutes. Or in 1 Peter 1, 7, it says that the testing of our faith, it would be the testing of the genuineness of our faith, and the result would be praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. That I think a lot of us can attest that suffering is not fun. No one, no one volunteers saying, yeah, I want to go through a hardship. But I think some of us can also even look back at hardships and how through that, how it produced more of a genuine faith in us to cling closer to Christ and grow more to Him. Or even just hardships where it grew us more just as an individual or grew maybe more as a group. Because here's the thing, we have a real enemy in the world. We have a real enemy in the world in Satan. 
Because in our Western world, we try to explain everything away. We try to rationalize everything with science and reason, and we never want to touch the spiritual world. We never want to bring that as a possibility into this. There is a spiritual element to this world. As we saw, Satan seeks to destroy us as followers of him, to tear us down, to keep others away from coming to believe in Christ and being saved. It says he's done this from the beginning, that he's been sinning from the beginning. That's what it says in 1 John 3, 8. And that when he lied to Adam and Eve in Genesis 3, 1, saying, did God really say whatever? He does that exact same thing to this day. Did God really say, do you have to wait for this? Did God really say that this is a sin? Did God really say whatever, fill in the blank? Because he is the father of lies. That is his natural language, as it says in John 8, 44 that he is the father of all lies. So he's going to sow seeds of discord and all this too, that some suffering in this world is a result of Satan himself. Now we might look at these three and say, that's, that's kind of bleak, that we see all this suffering and so much difficulty. But the next truth I want us to see, the next two truths is something to encourage us through all of it. The second one is there, or the fifth one is this, God is sovereign over all suffering. God is sovereign over all suffering. Here's just a few verses I want to see here, just, just how sovereign God is over all of creation. In Ephesians 1.11, it says, God works all things according to the counsel of his will. In Psalm 115, verse 3, it says, Our God is in the heavens. He does all that he pleases. In Psalm 135, verse 6, he says, Whatever the Lord pleases, he does. Or in Psalm 139, verses 1 through 12, it talks about how, how David's writing, saying, I can make my bed in just the depths of Sheol. I could go to the tallest mountain. I could go farthest west, farthest east, and still you are there. That I could, that I could even make my bed in the darkness. Not even darkness is dark to you. Or in Isaiah 40, verse 28, Isaiah says, Have you not known, have you not heard that our God is the creator of, of everything? That he is the beginning and the end. His understanding is unsearchable. He never grows faint or weary. Or Colossians 1:17, where it says, God is before all things and all things are held together by him. Or James 4, 13 through 16, where it says, Don't just say, hey, we're going to go into town and do this, because anything the Lord wills will happen. That we don't know what tomorrow holds, but God is the one that holds tomorrow. So nothing happens outside of the will and sovereignty of God, including evil itself. Here's just one thing it says in Isaiah 45, verse 7. Just as another way for us to, to see this. Isaiah 45, verse 7, where it says, I form light and create darkness. I make well-being and create calamity. I am the Lord who does all these things. Which means that there is no force, no entity outside God or greater than God. Everything happens because of the will of God. God wills it and it happens. God is utterly and completely in control. No restrictions, no limitations. But we may hear that and we may be astounded. And that's a tough truth for us to wrestle with. And we think that then if God is sovereign over all these things and he wills it, how in the world could he will some of these things or, or allow some of these things to happen? Why would he do that? But here is an important truth I want us to understand. Here's an important truth I want you to grasp, even in the midst of difficulty. Okay? The same God who is sovereign over all the suffering 
is the same God who will sustain our souls through all of it. The same God who is sovereign over all the suffering is the same God who will sustain our souls through all of it. Even if we are upset with God and we just try to throw, let's say, throw him out of our lives. Because some of us might see that. We might see all the suffering. Say, then, then what's the point of God if God's going to allow all of that? And we could throw God completely out of the equation. But even if we throw God completely out of the equation, it doesn't throw suffering out of the equation. That we could throw God out the window, but suffering still remains. Suffering still remains that we have to deal with and wrestle with and figure out. And that's something we have to wrestle with too. But here's some other truths that even if, let's say, Satan has a hand in our suffering, he also has a divine leash by God. We even see that in Job, where God's like, hey, have you seen my, have you seen my buddy Job? Have you seen how faithful he is to me? Satan goes, let me test him. And God says, all right, you can test him up to this point, that he's on a divine leash. We saw in Luke 22, 31, where Jesus is telling Simon Peter, saying, look, Simon, you don't realize, like, Satan has demanded, he wants to sift you like wheat. But again, only God is the one that gives him permission on that. Since God is sovereign, all that he means, he also can redeem evil. And in some cases, he even uses evil for a greater purpose and good. In Romans 8, 28, it says, He works all things out for our good and his glory for those that love him. Just an example is in Joseph, book of Joseph. You ever read the book of Joseph in Genesis? All of his brothers sold him into slavery, kick him out, and he's in jail and suffers through all these many years. And you would think, where is God in the midst of all of that? But he's able to rise up in the ranks. He's able to store food and help all of Israel with the famine they're going to deal with. And we see a beautiful thing in Genesis 50, verse 20, where Joseph reunites with his brothers and he's talking with them. He says, what you meant for evil, God meant for good. That God was even able to take the evil intentions of his brothers and use it ultimately for good. So since God is sovereign over everything, that means he is at work constantly in every last little detail. So God is sovereign always in every last little detail, even from the ordinary things that we might not think about, like we take an Advil for a headache, or we, let's say, go to sleep at night, whenever that might be for y'all, I don't know when, um, just to replenish our energy, even to the extraordinary details when we face difficult things. Think about this. There is not one atom, there is not one nanosecond that happens outside the sovereignty of God. So God is sovereign and is in complete control of everything, including evil. And in fact, he has dealt with evil. He's dealt with evil. And that's the last truth we see is this, is that Jesus understands. Jesus understands our suffering. Jesus understands our pain. Jesus understands. And I think no greater passage captures it like this. So this is in Hebrews 2, 14 through 18, where it says this. Since therefore the children share in flesh and blood, he, Jesus, himself likewise partook of the same things, that through death he might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is the devil, and deliver all of those who through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. For surely it is not angels that he helps, but he helps the offspring of Abraham. That's you and I. Therefore, he had to be made like his brothers in every respect, so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God to make propitiation for the sins of the people. 
For because he himself has suffered when tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. So it says Jesus partook in everything. So he made it in every respect. Jesus took on flesh and faced the exact same temptations and faced the exact same sufferings and pain that you and I deal with too. And because of that, we see in Hebrews 4, 15, where it says this, For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weakness, weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Yet without sin. Another truth we see, is even way back in the Old Testament, is in Isaiah 53, verses 3 through 5, where the prophet says this, He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And as one from whom men hid their faces, he was despised and we esteemed him not. Surely he has bore our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds, we are healed. So Jesus is a man of sorrows, acquainted with our grief, the same grief that you and I face, and was pierced for our sins, the sins that we see in the world around us, in personal sin, the sins of the world that we see with these natural disasters, and the sins for the whole world for all of time to be able to heal us and forgive us. So we saw in Romans 5, 12, it says, through Adam all have sinned and death is spread to all. We see a beautiful truth parallel to that. And in contrast to that, in Romans 5, 18, where it says, hey, just as death spread to all through Adam, guess what? Through Christ, for anyone that repents and believes, life and redemption and restoration is spread to all through Jesus Christ and his finished work on the cross. Or in Romans 8, 31 through 39, where it talks about, hey, nothing can separate us from the love of God. How that if God is for us, then then who can be against us? That calamities or trials or difficulties, nothing can separate us. That we are more than conquerors for him who loved us. And that's true for even now. And then we see this beautiful truth in Revelation 21.4, where even we deal with all of these difficulties, all of these hardships, that in the end, when Jesus comes back and restores everything, it says he will wipe away every tear from our eyes. Think about this, the same Jesus that died on the cross to pay the penalty for all of our sins for all of time with those same nail-scarred hands will wipe away every tear that we have shed. And he will say it was not in vain. It was not pointless. That is the beautiful truth we see in our Savior Jesus. Think about this. If there was ever an innocent person, it was Jesus Christ. He was sinless, yet he suffered the greatest suffering to him through his crucifixion. But he willingly chose this. It says in Romans 5, 8, that even while we were yet sinners, God shows his love for us, that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. The most innocent man in the world willingly chose to die for us who wanted nothing to do with him. But also just think about some of these beautiful truths that because of the death of Jesus, it applies to these other truths that we have seen tonight. So in Romans 3.23, which says, For the wages of sin is death, that all, have, or that all have fallen short, all have sinned against God. But then in Romans 3.24, it says, Yet all are offered this free gift of salvation, and all can be justified by God. Or Romans 10.9, That all who confess with their mouth that Jesus is the Lord shall be saved. So all these personal sins that we see, the most hardened of hearts can be forgiven and restored back to God. 
Or we see like all of these evil things in all of the world, the, the fallen world we see around us. In Revelation 21, 5, it says how he will make all things new and restore them back to its original order of how it's created. Or we see how, how Satan, how it says some of this is caused by Satan, but it says in Colossians 2, 12 through 15, how we had this record of sin. We had this record of sin, this debt that we could not pay. We had this, all these legal, legal obligations before us. And Jesus paid it all in full. He nailed it to the cross and moved it all to the side. And it said he put all of the authorities to open shame. And one of the means by all the open authorities, that's not just the Pharisees and Sadducees and everyone else that did it. That was Satan and demons and all of hell that he put to open shame. So now no matter what, no matter how bad it gets, no matter how difficult it gets, if we are in Christ, we are more than conquerors. No matter how difficult it gets, because we are in Christ, then we can, we can stare Satan right in the face and say, no, we are more than conquerors. That we can be forgiven for all of our sins for all of time. So whenever we are in the midst of trials and difficulties, when it's so easy for us to look at everything going on around us, we need to look to the cross. Think about this. At the time, the cross was capital punishment. It was meant for the worst of the worst criminals. And it was, it was the greatest form of punishment you can get. It was the biggest symbol of death and despair. Yet Jesus Christ and his finished work turned it into the greatest symbol of life and hope. So we look to the cross. We can see how God has dealt with sin and suffering and one day will right every wrong. Now, I'll be honest that we can hear all these things. And we can hear all these truths from Scripture. And, and some of us still might think that's not enough. That it's still difficult to deal with what we're facing. And, and I don't want you to think I'm trying to come at this with, let's say, nice and neat theological answers for something that is weighty and messy as sin and suffering. And so I want you to know that even if you are still wrestling with all of this, that is okay. That, that if you're still wrestling with, with suffering and sin, even in the midst of sin and suffering and difficulties, that is okay. Something I want us to look at as we kind of get close to finishing this out is, is you might be between two of these psalms. And that's okay. There might be some of you that you might be more in, let's say, Psalm 30, where it says this. Where it says, I will extol you, O Lord, for you have drawn me up and have not let my foes rejoice over me. O Lord, my God, I cried to you for help. And you have healed me. O Lord, you have brought me up from my soul from Sheol. You restored me to life from among those who go down to the pit. And later on in this psalm, you have turned my mourning into dancing. You have loosed my sackcloth and clothed me with gladness, that my glory may sing your praise and not be silent. O Lord, my God, I will give thanks to you forever. That might be some of you. We're saying, God, you have, you have helped me through all of this, and I will rejoice in you. But some of you might, might be feeling more like, let's say, Psalm 88, 13 through 18, where it says this, But I, O Lord, cry to you. In the morning my heart comes before you. O Lord, why do you cast my soul away? Why do you hide your face from me? Afflicted and close to death from my youth up, I suffer your terrors. I am helpless. Your wrath has swept over me. Your dreadful assaults destroy me. They surround me like a flood all day long. They close in on me together. You have caused my beloved and my friend to shun me. My companions have become darkness. There might be some that you were in the midst of it, and that's just how you were feeling. Like, I, no matter where I turn, it's just dark, it's hard, it's difficult. I don't know where you are, God. I cry out to you all the day long. But there's one thread between these two that I don't want us to miss. Whether it be crying out, saying, you've turned my mourning into dancing, or saying, everywhere I turn, it's nothing but dark. The thread that ties thee together is a heart that is being poured out before God. 
the heart that is being poured out before God. That I want you to see it, that ties it together is in Psalm 62, 5 through 8, where it says this. For God alone, O my soul, wait in silence. For my hope is from him. He only is my rock and my salvation, my fortress. I shall not be shaken. On God rests my salvation and my glory. My mighty rock, my refuge is God. Trust in him at all times, O people. Pour out your heart before him. God is a refuge for us. I just want you to know, God can handle it. God can handle your emotions. God can handle your frustrations. God can handle the hurts and pains and difficulties. In fact, it says in 1 Peter 5, 7, cast all of your anxieties, cast all of your cares onto him. Why? Because he cares about you. Or as I said at the beginning, John 10, 27 through 30, that if we are in his, if we are in Christ, we're in the eternal strong hands of God and nothing can pluck us out. No matter how difficult life gets, no matter what Satan throws at us, we are eternally secure in his hands. Or think about this truth in Hebrews 13, 5. If we are in Christ, Christ says, I will never leave you nor forsake you. That Christ will never leave us nor forsake us. So we see in 2 Corinthians, back to 2 Corinthians 1, 3 through 5, that he is the God of all comforts. He will comfort us in all our afflictions. In fact, when he comforts us in all our afflictions and we grow closer to Christ, we're then able to comfort those who are also being afflicted. We're able to comfort those who are also suffering. So how does the gospel respond to suffering? How does the gospel respond to all these difficult things we see around us? Well, again, the root reason there is suffering in the world is human sin. And Jesus came and took on flesh and faced every temptation and suffering we did, yet never sinned. So Jesus came to die on the cross to pay the penalty for all of our sins for all of time. And we repent and believe in his finished work. We are forgiven of our sins and saved. But we also have hope in the middle of the suffering. And we get to work to see God redeem in creation around us. It says he is the author and finisher of our faith. That God saves us, God secures us, and that Jesus is with us every step of the way. He doesn't just save us and leave us alone. He saves us and he's with us every step of the way until we cross the finish line and he says, well done, good and faithful servant, and wipes the tears away from our eyes and says, none of your suffering was in vain. We have this hope now. We also have it for the future. We know when Jesus comes back for his bride, his church, and he will right every wrong, every evil will be judged, and every suffering we faced will be restored, and everything will be right as it should be. I thought it ended on a quote that I read. Um, it's called Look and Live by Matt Papa, where we look at Christ and how he destroys sin and all of it. And he talks about how the suffering of Christ, how he says, look, look at the incredible pain and suffering that Jesus went through. That, that, that heaven decreed in order to secure our salvation. And know that if God did not waste an ounce of the pain that Jesus went through in order for us to obtain salvation, then he will not waste an ounce or second of our pain and suffering that we go through. That is the hope that we get to cling to. That is the beauty of the gospel. Through the good and the bad, through the clean and the messy, that is the hope that we cling to. Let's pray. Dear Lord, we just come before you, again, as finite, fallen, sinful human beings that we just wrestle with this. We wrestle with, with the evil and the pain and the suffering we see around us. And sometimes it is tough for us to wrap our minds around or reconcile it in our brains. But we also want to come before you and thank you that you are just above and beyond all of that. That, that none of this is outside your control. That none of this is outside your sovereignty.
and that you have also rightfully dealt with sin and suffering finally in the cross of Jesus Christ. And so with that, would you help us whenever we face difficulties, would you give us the grace to look back to the cross and look on that for our hope and to cling to the cross in good times and bad? Would you help us grow closer to you? Would you help us when we face suffering? Would you not let us harbor this this pain and anger and bitterness and let it fester? Would instead, would you just give us just the grace to be able to be open and honest and authentic with you, pouring out our hearts before you, even if it's with tears streaming down our face and anger and just yelling, saying, where are you? Would you give us the grace to pour out our hearts before you and remind us that you are near the brokenhearted, that you are with us every step of the way, says you will not leave us nor forsake us and that you will be with us to the very end and that one day you will wipe away every tear from our eyes. Would you give us the grace to cling to this and take this message out into a world that needs this hope, to point others to you, to comfort others even in our own church family who might be suffering, that all of this ultimately will help us conform more into the image of Christ, more into those followers you've called us to be, more into this family of God you've called us to be even here at this church. And that even through our suffering, that will be a testimony to you to make Christ's name known. All of this is in Jesus' holy, precious name we pray. Amen.